Bible does miracles. Let me hear your hands this morning. We serve a miracle working God, and I'm so glad for that. We've been on a journey following the miracles of Elijah, and this will be our final installment in that journey. Next week, we start Super Sunday, Family Fun Days. It took me two years to figure out how to say that. And uh, we'll have a great time together. I'm going to do a, a series based on national holidays for the month of July. I usually try to do something different and encourage you to bring a friend along. There'll be food trucks. We'll provide food and a treat for free. And then if that is enough to satisfy you, you can have as much as you want to eat as long as you pay for the rest. So join us. We'll have inflatables. We're going to have a great time. The train will be running. We'll have a, a great time beginning next Sunday, five weeks of July, celebrating together. And uh, I really don't think I can, I can just go ahead and preach without addressing what's going on in the culture right now. And uh, let me say something before I say something. <laughs> Wednesday, I want to take time to deal with this issue of Roe v. Wade and the overturning of Roe v. Wade in detail. Um, and so I'd invite you to come and we're gonna walk through that. Here's my initial reaction. It's not initial, I've spent time uh, reading and researching. And I will tell you that you will have a better opinion about everything if you will read and research. Most people who are speaking to the issue today are helping compile a Mount Everest of ignorance and stupidity on both sides of the equation. Roe v. Wade being overturned does not ban anything. There are several states ready to write anti-abortion legislation, several states that are ready to write pro-abortion legislation, and there are several states that already have trigger laws in place so that when the decision was made, the legislation is triggered and goes into effect and there'll be no change. I, I do not believe that um, Roe v. Wade has significantly changed the landscape of abortion. It has simply moved it from a constitutional right to a local state-by-state um, um, issue. And I don't know how many of you even know this, that the basis for Roe v. Wade, I'm not going to go very much longer. I'm just going to give you a little bit to think about. The basis of Roe v. Wade, the initial ruling, was based on the, the, the laws of due process. Now, just think about that. Due process in the uh, prosecution of a crime. And as part of due process, there's a clause that deals with illegal search and seizure. And from illegal search and seizure, a doctrine's developed that says that we have a right to privacy. So you go from due process, illegal search and seizure, to right to privacy, that then means abortions are defended by the Constitution. Now, I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, that's bad jurisprudence. And we're going to explore that, talk about that, and talk about what it really means to us. There's entirely too much hand-wringing and too much celebrating going on right now. We've just changed the terms. We could win a battle and rest and lose the war. I'm also fed up, uh, by the way, this is why I'll do this on Wednesday. I am fed up 
with being told that pro-life people don't care about babies after they're born. That is a blatant, hellish, demonic lie. We have done far more here and in the assemblies of God for children after they're born in money spent in foster care assistance and adoptions than we have ever spent politically on the issue of abortion. You have to understand that, that we're being smeared and lied about, and we need to know what the truth is and where to stand. Look at the groups that are doing the most to take care of children after they're born, and you'll find that the vast majority of those are pro-life evangelicals who care about families and people going to heaven. I want to clarify that for you and demonstrate that. I've also come to believe that evangelicals play the martyr much better than we play the victor. We enjoy being martyrs. We enjoy being attacked. We enjoy being in a place where we have to defend ourselves when we can't win. And we don't know what to do right now when there's been a change in the 50-year landscape. And I'll talk about that on Wednesday. All right? So come Wednesday. I thought about saying this will be so controversial that it won't be live streamed because that always increases on-site attendance. Okay. So let's put that aside for this morning, um, except to say to you, I'm as pro-life as I ever was. I don't believe the battle is over. And our goal is getting people to heaven. And in doing that, we've been called to not have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but to reprove them. And um, I, I just wanna, I want us to deal with that on Wednesday. The last thing I want to say is, Berean Church, my ministry, my preaching has consistently held this position that's being ridiculed today. I have never in my life condemned a woman who's had an abortion, but have said that we're here to love you and walk alongside you because there are undeniable psychological impacts that follow the act of abortion. And we're not condemning you. Don't ever want you to feel condemned any more than any other individual, all of us in the room who have experienced some kind of um, uh, damage to our lives. We're here to walk alongside you because Brian Church exists to extend hope and wholeness to broken humanity. That's why we're here. That's the message we'll continue. But if I'm going to extend, if we are going to extend hope and wholeness to broken humanity, I'm really trying not to preach. But if we're going to extend hope and wholeness to broken humanity, that means I don't provide alcohol to an alcoholic. And I show them the damage of their life choices. I don't give needles to drug users. I show them the damage that it's doing to them. You can't extend hope and wholeness to broken people while at the same time facilitating the behavior and choices that have broken them. And so my position hasn't changed at all. But can we quit wringing our hands for a moment? and quit celebrating for a moment and be like the men of Issachar?
who have an understanding of the times and know what the church ought to do. Because at the same time we're in this battle, there's a growing wave in the assemblies of God and in the evangelical world of what are called ex-evangelicals, a deconstruction of faith that's causing people to walk away from the truths that they have held to be biblically sound. And our problem in the church today that is becoming, that is becoming readily apparent is our faith is too often built on rhetoric and not built on biblical principle. Biblical illiteracy has caused us in the public sector to say some things that we should not be saying. And it's causing the other side to make claims that are absolutely not true that we have no idea how to refute. So what is the goal? The goal is to come alongside and love people, to walk with them and say, when you become pregnant, you are carrying a life that has spirit, soul, and body that will, that will spend eternity somewhere. And we are committed to walk with you, to walk with everyone in the place, whatever your life issues are, and say, journey with us, and we will walk with you so that we will go to heaven together in a great grand day of rejoicing because that is the goal of the evangelical church is to bring as many people along, but you can't bring them along if you endorse the darkness. You have to reprove the darkness and present the light and then call them to Jesus. Is anyone with me this morning so that's my teaser come Wednesday night and we'll get it in a little bit more detail I want to deal with it politically I want to deal with it legally I want to deal with it morally and I want to deal with it in ecclesiology what it means for the church and I think there are eschatological ramifications and I also think there's some choices the pro-life movement has to make today or the battle will be lost in ways we haven't anticipated I'm stopping. The, the car is slowing down. <laughs> but you might ask me, why are you against abortion? I'm against abortion for the same reason I'm against anyone killing you. That's at the heart of the issue. So tuck that away. Come Wednesday. And now, er, reverse, pull out in traffic. We're going to talk about Elijah. And the miracles of Elijah, and the last one is about what? Guess what? It's about Elijah going to heaven. It's about the goal of all of our lives. It's called the translation or the catching away of Elijah. We've talked about him as one of the greatest characters of the Old Testament who consistently operated in the supernatural. We've discovered that the supernatural can be confrontational, counterintuitive, revelatory, refreshing, prophetic, victorious, enabling, and burdensome. And sometimes the supernatural comes to motivate us. The power of God can be motivating. How so? Well, I read in the New Testament about a day that Jesus went up on a mountaintop and there on the mountaintop was transfigured before his disciples. And as they watched, he stood there, Jesus stood there and interacted with Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets about things pertaining to the kingdom. 
the disciples that were with him wanted to build tabernacles for each of them. And Jesus said, no. And in the short version then, while they're on the mountaintop, there's a dad with a demon-possessed boy down in the valley who wants healing for his son. And the disciples try to cast the devil out, and they can't cast the devil out. Jesus comes down from the mountain. The man comes to him and says, I came to your disciples and they couldn't help me. And Jesus says, directed to the disciples, how long will I bear with you, you wicked and perverse generation? Faithless. I mean, he goes after them and he looks at the boy, casts the devil out at his word. And of course, the man is celebrating the son is delivered. And I'm going to tell you that if your faith-filled supernatural experience on a mountaintop doesn't deliver demon-possessed boys in the valley, you didn't experience anything of value on the mountaintop. And so they come to Jesus later and they say, uh, <clears throat> Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? And it's interesting to me that the newer translations take out the verse that has the answer. And when I tell you what the answer is, you'll understand why they take it out. He says that this kind comes not but by prayer and fasting. So how is that motivational? They saw a need. They saw a supernatural response that they couldn't enter into, and it motivated them to pursue a greater relationship with God through prayer and fasting so that there would never again be another boy in the valley that they couldn't reach. Sometimes God lets us see his supernatural power to motivate us to a deeper relationship with God. How many are hearing what I'm saying? And I believe that's why this last experience happens and why it's recorded for us. You can turn to 2 Kings chapter 2 if you want to follow along, open your digital device, and we'll be in that one single spot. You see, the life of Elijah has prophetic significance. You have to ask yourself, why did we need to see this miracle of the chariots of fire? What is it that happens? He's caught away in a chariot of fire and horses of fire. Why did we need to see that? It could have been like Enoch, where it says about Enoch, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. There's no supernatural whistles and bells. There's no energy excitement around that. It's just like he walked with God and he was gone. Why do we need to see this? Why are the details here? It's certainly not to fill up part of a chapter in the history of the kings. It's because God wanted us to learn something by watching this supernatural homegoing of Elijah. The Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 4, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Jesus suggests that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that prophecy. I've already mentioned Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, and some have suggested that Elijah and Enoch will be the two prophets, uh, two witnesses in the book of Revelation. But I believe that when you understand his prophetic significance, that watching his home going and the details that we've seen it is supplied to motivate us to the same end that Elijah pursued, and that is making it to heaven. So I want to pursue that for a little bit this morning, how his translation um, speaks of the end times and how it should motivate our lives. First, Elijah's translation testifies to an afterlife. Elijah's translation testifies to an afterlife. 
Elijah was going somewhere. I said, Elijah was going somewhere. It could have been that that he would, like all of the rest of humanity, have died, the body left behind, and he still would have gone to heaven. So why, why this great, grandiose expression? When Elisha looks up and he says, the chariot, the, the horsemen of Israel and the chariot thereof, or the chariot of Israel and the horse, whatever he says that there, the flaming chariot of fire and the horse of the fire, and, and it picks up Elijah and it goes somewhere. It's telling us that death is not a destination, but the continuing of a journey. Somebody help me this morning. Death is not a destination. It's not a period. It's not the end of a story. It's going somewhere. And I believe that the church world today needs to be reminded of that. Everything we read about Scripture, about our Christian faith, is about a journey. It's about going somewhere. That we press toward the mark. We're to follow Christ. You say, well, I get that in this life. But we're headed somewhere after this life. His body wasn't left behind. When you read Hebrews Hall of Fame of Faith and Hebrews 11, what enabled these individuals to manifest such great faith and endure with such amazing perseverance? Because they had this single testimony that was consistent among them. They were looking for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker was God. They knew they were on a journey as Pilgrim Progress says to the celestial city and we're going to stop anywhere along the way. Our goal is not to just make it till we die. Our goal is to continue the journey till we get to heaven. Is there anyone in the house? We're on a journey. We're headed somewhere. And the reality of that kind of escapes contemporary Christianity because we have built a couple of things. We've built this model that it's all about here and it's all about having it now. And so you can have all the blessing now. You can positively confess it. You can live in blessing and and never have a struggle. Well, who wants to go to heaven if that's the case? I mean, let's just have all of our fun here or that the afterlife doesn't matter and we need to build our own kingdoms here. There's so much that's built around now that I think sometimes the evangelical church forgets that it's not about building an earthly kingdom. It's about where will you spend eternity? We are living souls. We're going to spend eternity somewhere. And we best not take that for granted. Best not overlook that. Jesus over and over calls us to faith in the afterlife. In John chapter 14, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. When Jesus rose from the dead, they gathered on the mountaintop and watched as he ascended into heaven and let us know that he was going somewhere. The rich man in Lazarus paints this incredible picture that is not an allegory. It's an historical reality of Lazarus in Abraham's bosom and the rich man in the place of torment because those are very real places. And this must be an important doctrinal reality based on the attention that Jesus gives to that.
In the early days of the Assemblies of God, we used to joke that there were only four things we preached about. That you could go to an Assemblies of God church anywhere in the country, and they'd either be preaching about salvation, baptism of the Holy Spirit, divine healing, or the return of Christ. And I'm saying to you this morning, it might not hurt us to get back to some of the basics. And rather than trying to analyze a camel's hair or a donkey's tail and what all that means, maybe we need to remind ourselves once in a while that this is about eternity. Is there anyone in the house this morning? This is about heaven and hell. It's about what happens after this life. And so when I'm attacked for my faith, when my faith is criticized and challenged, I'm not going to wilt and quiver and withdraw because it makes my present life uncomfortable. I'm going to stand up and continue to preach truth because when we get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And I'm fully persuaded that there are individuals who will spend eternity in hell in torment forever and ever and ever where the worm doesn't die, where the fire is not quenched. You cannot believe in heaven without believing in hell. You can't pursue one without knowing there's the other. And I think it's time for the church to come back to our foundation and say, what are we about? We're not about making everything happy here. We're about helping people get to the other side because it matters. And Elijah says, you're going somewhere. You're going somewhere. Where are you headed? Where are you going? What's the direction of your life? Scripture describes heaven not as an allegorical or mythical state of being, It's not a nirvana or a soul sleep or some other kind of description. It describes it in concrete terms. In John 14, Jesus said that heaven has many dwelling places. In Hebrews chapter 12, it is a place. It is the city of the living God where worship happens. In Revelation 7, every nationality will be present and worshiping God in heaven. In chapter 7 as well, it's a place of peace, joy joy and praise. It's a place where tears will be wiped away. In Revelation chapter 11, there's a great storm that emanates out of heaven as we see that the Ark of the Covenant from the Old Testament is kept in its location in heaven. In Revelation chapter 19, there's a great army that comes from heaven. In Revelation 21, precious gemstones will adorn the city. In Revelation 21, there will be gates of pearl and streets of gold. In Revelation chapter 2, there's a very real tree of life. In Revelation chapter 22, God is the light of the city. I'm telling you, it's not allegorical or metaphysical. It is real. And those who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are going to spend eternity in a real place with a real God for a real eternity and celebrate all that he has done for us. But again, hell is real. And I know that that works against the sensibilities of people. What do you mean by that? I've tried to wrap my brain around the reality of hell. And I'm just thinking, how could it be that you would be forever and ever and ever in a place of torment where the conscience isn't weakened, where the suffering doesn't stop, where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. How could that be possible? 
I don't know. I don't know. But I am absolutely committed to not finding out. And I believe it's true. What happens in evangelical circles, which is part of the deconstruction of evangelical faith in this generation and the growth of ex-evangelicals is when we eliminate the reality of hell and we replace it with only a teaching on heaven and that's all that we have and make hell not a real place or everyone is going to heaven. It takes away the passion to fulfill the will of God here and reach people that are headed for that place. Here's what I know about heaven. It never ends. It's eternal suffering. It never stops. That there is never a place where you are just eliminated and whatever that looks like. What if you get to heaven and you find out that you didn't understand? It doesn't matter because the course that I'm on is to make sure as many people as possible get into heaven. I want to populate heaven and depopulate hell and that's the role of the church. So let's get busy about that and do everything that we know to do to get people people into the kingdom of God because that's what matters. When you try to get away from trials, when you try to get away from suffering, when you try to change what you believe or where you stand, just understand that every decision you make affects your relationship to God and has an impact on your eternal destiny. And this isn't about what makes your life comfortable today. It's where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity? Right now. If I could, had time, and you had the patience and endurance, I would walk around the room and have you say to me, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? Because those are the only two options. Well, well, well I don't know. Then you're going to hell. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. Then you're going to hell. Well, 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 I, I, I'll make up my mind later. If you're going to make up your mind later, right now you're headed to hell. I'm just telling you. It's just the way it is. Well, I don't like, I don't like the way that sounds. Well, stop being a snowflake and a cupcake and get a little backbone and stand where the word of God says and fill yourself with Bible doctrine and hold your ground because that's the only way we're going to rescue this world. Again, we are not what's wrong with the world. We are what's right with the world because there is a world beyond this that needs to hear the good news. And the good news isn't that you'll be rich. The good news is you'll go to heaven. You'll go to heaven. Where are you going? If you don't know for sure, you can know for sure. We have a no-so salvation. How, Pastor Gary, can I know for sure? I want everyone listening to me right now. I'm not landing the plane. Don't worry about that. I got more to say. But this is the crux of Elijah's testimony. Romans chapter 10 makes it very, very clear what you need to do. And I like to use the ABCs of the gospel because it's easy to remember. 
A means to admit that you're a sinner, that you have failed, that you've done wrong. That's where it starts. Jesus said, I came to the sick, not to those that are whole. I came to the lost, not to those who think they're found. And so you start off by recognizing I've tried it in my own way. I can't do it in my own strength. I have failed, and I feel that sense of emptiness and separation from God. B, you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins. You need to believe that Jesus rose from the dead so that you could have newness of life. And once you admit that you have failed God, that you're a sinner, there's a great gulf between you and God. That gulf was covered by the cross of Jesus Christ. He paid for that separation. And you need to believe that Jesus was crucified for your sins, rose on the third day so that you could have newness of life. And once you admit that and believe that, then you need to confess him as Lord for everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and you don't have to raise a hand you don't have to come to the front you don't have to stand on your head and spit out wooden nickels you can right now disconnect from everything that I'm saying and everything that's happening and just say Jesus right now in this place in this moment I'm surrendering my life to you I admit that I failed I believe in you and I confess you as Lord and your trajectory changes 180 degrees instead of headed for hell you're now headed for heaven and it is that simple no one need go to hell it's that simple it's that simple second Elijah's translation prophesies of the blessed hope let me explain to you what I mean by that Not only does it testify to an afterlife, it prophesies of the blessed hope. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. And and people have said, see, the Bible says that you have an appointment with death and nothing you do and nothing that's happening can change that. When your time comes, you're going to die and you can't slow it down. You can't stop it. You can't, can, you can't stretch it longer. That is ridiculous. Let me tell you why it's ridiculous. It makes many of the promises of the Bible um, meaningless. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the earth which the Lord your God gives you. So if honoring your father and mother can extend your days, it must mean that you play a part in when that appointment comes. I could go on and on with scriptures. I did hear a ridiculous story. Do you want to hear a ridiculous story? Seeing no objections. I heard a story about an angel that appeared to a lady and let her, she wanted to know when she was going to die. And Gabriel said to her that you're going you're gonna to die in 20 years. You've got 20 more years of life. Well, she awakened from the vision and said, well, I guess if I'm going to live 20 more years, I need to take better care of myself. She started going to a gym. She got in shape. She did a number of cosmetic surgeries, dyed her hair. Everything about her changed. And after about a year of that, she stepped off the curb and got hit by a bus and killed her. She got to heaven and saw Gabriel and say, I thought you told me I had 20 more years. He said, yeah, but with all the changes you've made in your life, I didn't recognize you didn't know it was you. (laughs) 
Okay, everybody write this down. That was a joke. Okay. That was not theology. That was a joke. And as ludicrous as that joke was, it is just as ludicrous to believe that you have a date set for the day you will die because you affect that. In fact, Paul leads us to believe that that's true when he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, that will be fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. Now, there's a lot of theological debate about that, but he doesn't say, which one will God give me? He said, which one will I choose? That we impact by our life and choices when that day comes. Every one of us will die. When the doctor tells you you're terminal, that's not news. If you're, planning, if you're planning to live forever or donate your body to cryogenics and they're going to freeze you so you can shake hands with the Antichrist, <laughs> the only way for us to get to heaven is to die, except... There were two guys that went to heaven that didn't die. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. And Elijah got a flaming chariot ride all the way to heaven. What they testify to is what we doctrinally call the blessed hope. For the Lord himself... Well, that should have put doodads up and down your back. For the evangelicals that are grounded in scripture, all I should have to say is for the Lord himself, and you're already dancing in the aisle. For the Lord himself, what's going to happen? He's going to return with the shout of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, in, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're told over and over in scripture that there's a day coming that Jesus is going to return. We used to live with that in mind. We used to live believing that he could come at any time. Say, Pastor, come on. Do you really believe there's going to be this miraculous catching away? Yes. I don't think it'll be like the old movie theme in the night where your razor is left behind buzzing. That's all eschatological discussion, but I'm telling you, I'm more convinced today than I ever was that a day's coming that Jesus is coming back, and there'll be a catching away of his bride, and we will go to the marriage supper of the Lamb while there is chaos and turmoil on the earth, and then we'll come back with him for the battle of Armageddon and the millennial kingdom. Yes, I believe he's coming back, and the only way out of here apart from death is by the rapture of the church. Enoch said it can happen. Elijah said it can happen. And I'm saying to you, church, lift up your eyes for your redemption draws nigh. We're living in a crazy, crazy, crazy world. And everything is pointing to the soon return of our Lord. There is nothing on the prophetic calendar that has to happen before Jesus comes. 
And our position is that his return is imminent. That doesn't mean immediate. Do I think he's coming this afternoon? Do I think he's coming in 2024? No, that's not how I live. I'm not believing it's immediate. I believe it's imminent. He could come at any time. Have you ever, anybody ever have this kind of divine moment? (laughs) You're just driving down the road on a cloudy day. And there's a hole in the clouds. And the light, the light comes, whoo, I'm ready to go right now. And the light comes streaming through and had the thought, could this be the day? Come on, is there anyone in the house? If you don't know what I'm talking about, dig into scripture. Get that under your feet because Elijah wants you to know that we're not looking as the preacher said, we're not looking for the undertaker. We're looking for the upper taker. We're not looking for the end of the road. We're looking for the next step in the journey. And I'm telling you, it is the blessed hope. He who has his hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. And I grew up hearing that message all of the time, again and again, Jesus could come. And maybe some of you had this experience similar to mine. There was a period of time that we went to church from second grade to fifth grade as a, as, a, as a Christian family. We were in church on a regular basis, all of that. And I heard that over and over. And I have four sisters. The five of us have about 12 to 14 months between each of us. So we're really close. And when my parents would leave, I was put in charge to watch them. Do not tell me that the tribulation isn't real. Purgatory has nothing on babysitting your four sisters when you're one year older than the oldest. Well, they delayed their return. And I thought, what if Jesus came? I wasn't sure enough in my faith to believe that I was going to go. What if Jesus came? And I'm going to have to take care of these four girls. What am I going to What am I going to do? I didn't know what to do. At that time, we had rotary telephones. Anybody remember those? And we had these things made out of paper. They looked like a book. They were called phone books. And everybody's name was in there with a number attached. Anybody remember that? My mother used a big uh, Cedar Rapids phone book to sit on when she drove so she could see over the dash. So it was a multi-purpose gift from the phone company. I looked up a lady in the church. I called her number. She said, hello. That's all I needed to know. I hung up. In later years, I've looked back and I thought, why did I call her? She was just as likely to be left behind as I was at that moment. But, but uh, that's all I needed to know. We lived with that. And when we lived with that, I know there were some extremes. We lived with that, but it affected the way we live. If Jesus could come in the morning, if Jesus could come in the afternoon, if he could come in the evening, I'm going to purify myself because I'm looking for Jesus to come. It helps loosen your grip on the earth. It helps focus your attention on heaven when you're looking for Jesus to come. It's the blessed hope. Jesus said, if I go, I will come back. The angel said, this same Jesus 
will come back. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. He is coming back. And in our fundamental truths, we have 16 statements of faith that every Assemblies of God uh, uh, a credential holder ascribes to. And number 13 is the blessed hope of the church. The resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in Christ and their translation together with those who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord is the imminent and blessed hope of the church. We believe that. We testify to that. It's part of who we are. But one of the warnings, I'm just going to tell you why I believe we're closer than we've ever been. Second Peter chapter 3 says, knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. What will be a mark of the return of the Lord? It will be when those who are people of faith reject the teaching of his return and begin to mock, saying he has not come and he's not coming again. We're seeing something happen. I'm just going to say it because it concerns me. If I disagree with any of the 16 statements of faith, I'm to acknowledge that on my annual renewal, which will be the termination of my credential. But there's a move in the assemblies of God today to eliminate the last four fundamental truths, the blessed hope of the church, the millennial reign of Christ, the final judgment, and the new heaven and new earth. A book has been published by one of our credential holders, and we, we don't have the courage. I'm just going to say it the way I believe it. I've paid this price before, and I know Monday all hell will break loose if it gets in the wrong place. And I mean that literally, not in a, in a vulgar way. I'm just telling you that we don't have the courage to hold our ground in our broad tent mentality in the assemblies of God anymore. And if that move succeeds and we reject our historic faith that has served us well from 1914 and we eliminate the blessed hope, I will count that as scoffers walking after their own lusts. And I'm praying that someone will rise up and say, we are not going down that road, we're not following that path, and that those who are proclaiming that will account for their credentials because one of them I would never believe 30 years ago that we'd be debating in our circles the return of Christ would not have believed that but now it's in print Jesus is coming soon church Jesus is coming soon he's coming soon and we need to be ready because Elijah says there's a way out of here other than death. You're headed somewhere, and the way to heaven might be by the rapture of the church. Last thing, then, that his um, homegoing testifies to us about is that we need to develop a life of watchfulness. Calls us to a life of watchfulness. What do you mean? Elisha, are you ready? Elisha would have missed it if he hadn't been watching Elisha would have missed it if, it if he hadn't been watching. Listen to what the Bible tells us. Therefore, keep watch, 
because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house, let his house be broken into. Matthew 25, therefore keep watch because you do, know not, do not know the day or the hour. Mark chapter 13, take heed, watch and pray. Uh, Mark 13 again, watch therefore for you don't know when your master of the house is coming. In Mark 13, 37, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. In Luke chapter 21, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. I'm going to pause right there. The great argument in our circles today is the final four statements of the fundamental truths are simply escapism that the church cannot afford to continue to embrace. And I'm telling you, I'm not embracing the fundamental truths. I'm embracing the declaration of the word of God when Jesus said, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that may come to pass. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. 1 Peter chapter 4, but the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. The Bible tells us to watch, to watch and pray, to watch and be ready, to watch and be sober, that the end time church will be marked. Those that are looking for Jesus to come, that hear the story of Elijah, will be watching, will be ready, will be praying, will be sober sober-minded. We'll be able to understand what's happening on the face of the earth. We will develop an attitude of watchfulness. So what are you watching for? You're watching for something. I'm watching for the signs of the times. I'm watching for evidence of the move of God. Elijah was watching for a small cloud to rise and he saw the answer I'm watching for opportunities to serve God's purposes they are all around us and I'm watching for Jesus to come he is coming again Amen. Pastor Nathan if you join me here's how I want to bring this together Elijah's translation serves as a supernatural motivator to be sober and be vigilant because there is a day coming we need to be ready for. And I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed just for a moment, no one looking around. I felt this way heavy on my heart last night and I want to proclaim it to you this morning. In the chapel, balcony, main floor, those who are watching online, if you're not sure, I'm telling you, you're headed right now somewhere. You're headed somewhere. And if you've not asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you've not accepted his provision, you've moved yourself into that great gulf of judgment and he has provided the cross for you. If you're not a Christ follower, if you're not a believer, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, would you right now just slip up your hand and say this morning, I'm gonna make a decision to follow Jesus. Real quickly, just lift up your hand. This is your morning. I won't embarrass you in any way. I want you to lift up your hand and say, I want Jesus in my life. I'm gonna follow him. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? I don't know Jesus and this morning I want to follow him. I'm gonna wait just a moment. Yes, thank you. Is there anyone else this morning? I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. Come on, the Spirit of God's in the house, church. I know you're praying. This is a day of decision, a day for you to choose to follow after God. 
All right, I'm going to ask everyone in the room to pray this prayer. Out loud, for the benefit of those who raise their hands, dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I've failed. I'm a sinner separated from you. But I believe that you died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. I believe that you rose from the dead so that I could have newness of life. And this morning, I confess you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making me new. And I will serve you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate that. There's rejoicing in heaven right now. If you prayed that prayer this morning or you're online, you've prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing because we want to walk with you. I don't want this just to be a moment you pray in prayer and everything goes on the same. But if you would text the word GROW to 77411, just text the word GROW to 77411. What that means is you gave a, made a commitment of your life to Jesus this morning, and we want to reach out with you and walk with you on that journey. Please join us and text the word GROW to 77411 so that we can join with you in that process. Everyone in the house, please stand. And I'm going to ask that we would pray for God to give us a watchful spirit, a watchful heart, that we'd look above the mundane to the supernatural and hear the testimony of Elijah while God gives us vision beyond the natural. You deserve glory and all the honor. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. You deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. like you there is no one else like you you are great you do miracles so great there is no one else like you there is no
sensitive but just glad that you're here we're in a battle church I'm telling you we're in a battle and we need to war against darkness and get people to heaven we need to get people to heaven let's engage the battle thank you for your financial giving Um, you're helping us greatly Uh, you're enabling us to keep moving forward and however you give online present in the mail however you do just so thankful for your kindness to us uh, to help us keep moving forward. So God bless you. Shake someone's hand, give them an elbow, kick their foot, whatever you're doing today, and encourage them in Jesus before you go.